We are in a series right now called Grounded. Now, this is one of those series that I absolutely love, and I'm also today, as we're starting with where we're at today, I'm a little bit scared because we're going to about to wade into some very deep waters over the next couple weeks. We started last week by saying we all need something to stand on. Each and every one of us find ourselves day after day after day surrounded by having to make choices, choosing things that will either not affect our life or affect outcomes of our lives for a long term. And we stopped and we said in all of our life, we need something that we can ground it to. We need something that we can anchor our decisions to that is going to withstand the tough times. We find ourselves totally surrounded and being bombarded by, and we make decisions and choices based upon our politics. We make it based upon our environmental ideas. We base it upon our idea of freedom. We base our decisions, and they just kind of keep going. But we dealt with this idea that everything we dealt with, if it is not grounded on something more, is a bit shaky. It can leave us stumbling and and making choices that are a little bit, well, as my dad would say, dodgy. And so we began to say, Jesus tells us that there is something we can base our lives on. There is something we can base our choices and our decisions on that will leave us making good decisions. And he said it is his word. It is his teachings. And so we stopped and we said, you know what? We can know for sure that we can base our life on something solid that will not fall down. And almost all of us as followers of Jesus Christ would say, we agree with that. In fact, I'd almost guarantee you that all of you as you left last Sunday would say, I don't have a problem with that. That's totally what I agree with. God's word is what I base my life on as a follower of Jesus Christ. That's my rule of faith and practice. But let's be honest. Most of us have really struggled to read through the entire thing. I I have tried to make it a part of my life to read through it quite regularly. Um, And I've got to be honest, parts of the thing that we call God's word, our Bible, it kind of gets a little bit hard at times. There's this section especially that kind of starts in the book of Genesis and goes all the way through to the book of Malachi. It kind of, if you have a Bible, it kind of starts and you see it and there it says Old Testament and we kind of kind of stumble through it. What do we do with it? Sometimes as followers of Jesus Christ, we sometimes treat the Old Testament a bit like we do when we buy a new pair of sneakers. Okay, when you buy a brand new pair of sneakers, it's not usually because you need a brand new pair of sneakers for most of us. Usually it's just we look down and we kind of notice that our sneakers are kind of not as nice and clean and snazzy as the guys who's standing next to us. And we say, you know what, it's time we get a new pair of sneakers. And so we buy a new pair of sneakers, and then we've got this really good pair of old sneakers that are too good to throw away, so what do we do with them? Well, for most of us, we kind of look at them, and we kind of stick them in the back of the closet because we know there's going to be a camping trip coming up, right? We know we're going to have to go out, and we know there's going to be a time when I'm going to need to do some gardening, and I don't want to wear my good, fancy, clean shoes in the garden. 
But realistically, when we go do the camping, our other new shoes have already kind of started scuffing up a little bit, and we got to do the gardening, and it's like, I don't want to go change my shoes to go do, pull some weeds, and pretty soon, those old shoes just get what? You end up with a pile of four or five old pairs of shoes in the back of the closet because that's what you do with old pairs of shoes that aren't quite ready to be thrown out. And sometimes we treat the Old Testament a little bit like that old pair of shoes. We just don't really know what to do with it because we know they're good. We know it's important. We know it has value, but what do I do with it? Say, well, you come on, you're stretching that a little bit, aren't you? Well, let's, let's just kind of go through it, be honest. When we begin to deal with the Old Testament and we value it so much, Almost all of us in here would say we believe it is to be God's inspired word, right? I mean, we, we believe it is God's word and we accept it as God's word, but we come to it and we got portions where we do what? We love it and cherish it and we tell stories through it. There's other parts when we begin to talking about it that we kind of just skip over it. It's kind of like you're you know, skipping rocks where it kind of just bounces through. It's kind of what we do with parts of the Old Testament. We kind of bounce through it, skip over it. There's parts we not just skip through. There's parts we sort of ignore. We know they're in there, but I don't know about that. So I just kind of ignore that part. And then there's other parts where we just totally, we read it. We love it, we cherish it, but we totally misquote it and we take it out of context. We don't do that, do we? I mean, this is God's word and we are grounded, our feet are solid upon the, the rock of God's word and we wouldn't do these things. Well, we do. Hear me out. When we tell the stories we love and cherish, I could say certain words and automatically some things will come to your mind, won't they? So if I say Noah's Ark. Okay, I'm glad someone's following. What about this? Moses and the Ten Commandments. David and, I'm glad you guys said Goliath and not the other one. The one I'm always chuckle about that we, that I just, we always tell our kids about is Samson and, <laughs> We really wouldn't tell our kids that. We wouldn't let that story be shown on our TVs, but we'll tell our kids about it. And it's kind of an interesting one. What about this? Daniel and the... You see, there are stories we value, we cherish, we love. And we continue to pass down because they hold meaning and value to us. But then there are those parts that I said we kind of skip over. We just kind of, yeah, it's there, but we kind of bounce through it. So there's that sort of that sections. Has anyone tried reading the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy? Unless you're a real student who gets in there and you find, it's kind of like, oh, really? And the priest wore an ephod of Linen, and on that ephod of lemon, linen, he has 12 stones, and one's a garnet, and one's a, and it goes through these different, and it's like, uh, and then you get to Deuteronomy, and it just goes on and on, and then, can I, can I ask, how many of you have actually kind of read through every verse of the book of Numbers? 
It's a bit rough, isn't it? It's, it's not one of these things you kind of, that grips your attention. And for many of us, let's just kind of be, let's just be brutally honest. When it gets to certain books such as Amos and Obadiah, Micah, and we talk about that book of Malachi, I think it's in there somewhere, isn't it? Has anyone read the book of Hezekiah? I hope not, because that one's not in there. <laughs> but it's what we kind of do. We sort of like, we know it's there, but it's hard. It's really tough. And then there's portions we know that are in there, but we choose to kind of, we kind of choose to ignore. And I'm just, you know, we, we know as we begin talking about great guys such as, as David, we, we read when we begin to read about his example, and we always want to teach our kids, you need to be like David, this man after God's own heart, right? But when you actually read the story of David, I'm constantly trying to say, I sure hope I do not want to teach my boys to be like David, apart from the fact that he continually sought God when he did wrong. But no, don't get into that mess. Stay away from that woman, David. You know she's going to get you in trouble. David, no, don't do that. And we kind of, oh, David, not again, did you? And we kind of find ourselves sort of ignoring. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you realize that a big portion of it, it's a lot of war and blood and guts throughout the Old Testament. And we kind of, it's sort of for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, who believe that God has called us to love and forgiveness, we kind of sit there and we kind of stumble around like, well, what do we do with this? And what about the misquote? I know, I know we would never do that from this church because this church, we don't do that sort of stuff. We take God's word for what it is. But I'll be honest with you, I have pastor friends who do this, and so I'm gonna pick on my pastor friends, okay? But I have pastor friends who will stop and they'll be struggling in an area of their life and they'll be saying, God, I need you to tell me something today. I'm, I'm, I've got this problem and I don't know what to do and, and I need you to show me and they open up their Bible and, and all of a sudden something like comes up like Isaiah. I think I, think I got Isaiah up there. Dave, I'm gonna have you put that up there. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. And all of a sudden we come up with a verse like this. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Oh, that feels good. Didn't that feel good when you read that? You see, as I'm reading it, I, I just prayed and I said, God, I, I, I need you to show me something. I need you to, to reveal and then we look at it and then we read something like this and, and so what is God trying to tell us? Maybe he's trying to tell us he's going to do a new thing. Maybe that means I'm going to get a new house. Maybe that I'm going to do a new thing. Maybe that means God is trying to tell me I'm about to go through a new season of my life. Maybe I'm going to get remarried. Uh, maybe that new thing he's going to do is, uh, I don't know. Usually what we end up doing is we find the toughest thing, that thing that is on my mind the most at the moment, and that's what that new thing is going to be, something wrapped up with that. 
And I love this passage of scripture. And when we understand what it is and, and who it was for and what it's about, it still has application and purpose for us. But if we're not careful, we take something that was not written about my car, my whatever that I'm going through, and we turn it into something that it is not. We make it say something. We make God say something that God never said. And we do this throughout, and especially very common, especially with the Old Testament, because it's a hard you know, well, what do we do with it? If I can't pull out a promise like this and, and make it, you know, then what do I do with it? Okay, now that I've totally kicked it all around, isn't that terrible? I did, please, I am not at all in any way diminishing the Old Testament. What I'm trying to say is, is that we have something that we say we stand on, we hold to, that we value, and yet, on the other hand, we know so little about it. We know the, some of the stories. We've even kind of memorized it. There's a lot of Old Testament passages that I've memorized that I absolutely love. But if we don't keep them in context, we can turn them into say anything we want them to say. So what do we do? With the Old Testament. Do we do it like our old pair of tennis shoes or old pair of sneakers and just stick them back in the back of the closet and say, well, yeah, I'll kind of rummage around there once in a while and put them on my feet and I'll go out and do some gardening in them once in a while. For something that is so important to us, we should kind of probably try to get a grasp on it a little bit. And so I'm gonna try today very quickly, very briefly, we're going to try to begin to get a grasp on what do we do with the Old Testament. It is important and it is valuable. It is in the book that we hold so dear for a reason. And I'm going to say this real carefully. We do not, I have, I'm trying to take a very complex idea and we're trying to just make it reachable and understandable. So if you have more questions I really want to encourage you to come Tuesday night. Tuesday night is where we're going to begin to try to dig into this a little bit more as we come to home group here on Tuesday night. That's where our Tuesday night group is. We're going to try to like dig into it and kind of ask questions and kind of discuss it a bit more. But for today, I'm going to just, just try to get through this. And if you want to come and, and talk to me after and ask me some more questions about why I say things a certain way, please do it. But what is this thing called the Old Testament? What should we do with it? Well, I want to say it is so much more important than that old pair of sneakers. You can leave your sneakers in the back of the closet. In fact, they probably belong back there. The new ones are probably so much better. But the Old Testament is something that is value and it has purpose. And it is important for us to know what it's about. So today, we're going to real quickly look at it from the start. What is the Old Testament? What does it mean? Okay. The word testament, if you're not familiar with, if you're not a big Bible scholar, the word testament simply means a covenant. It means the old covenant or the old promise. The old promise that God had set, that's what it's referring to. There is obviously, if there's an old covenant, it must mean there is a new covenant. Okay, hey, you guys are pretty good. You're getting the hang of this. So there's an old promise and there is a 
new promise. Now, I want to be careful on how I say that because as we say that, it is not the fact that there is a new promise and an old promise. There is actually a fulfilling of a promise. That's what we see in the New Testament is it's not the fact that it's a whole brand new promise. It is the fulfillment or the completion of what God had already promised. And so as we talk about the Old Testament, we're going to begin looking at it from an idea that here as we look at the Old Testament, here is this old promise that God set up with his people. We come to the New Testament, here is the completion of God's fulfillment or the fulfillment of God's promise. So we're going to start there. Old Testament means the old promise or the old covenant. Number two. If you're a Jewish person, there is no such thing as an Old Testament, okay? Let me just be clear. As Christians, we call it the Old Testament. The Jews call it their covenant or their promise or their scriptures. They don't have a new promise. They do not see the fulfillment of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of that covenant. So they still hold to what we call the Old Testament, but it is not the Old Testament to them. It is still current and ongoing. So I think we just kind of need to hold that in in place. We call it the Old Testament or God's old promise. They call it his promise. Number three, the Old Testament is the scriptures that Jesus read. The Old Testament is the scriptures that Jesus quoted from and what Jesus referred to as the word of God. So therefore, if Jesus values it and considers it important, I think it might be important. So as we look at it, what is the Old Testament? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of break it down like this. The Old Testament is basically made up of three things, okay? It is made up of a garden. Who is in there? Adam and Eve. It is made up of a flood, which is the story of Noah And then it is the story of a nation. Now, we're going to look at some of this. And hopefully next week I might delve into this kind of a round two, but kind of hit it from a different spot, different angle. But, But basically the Old Testament tells us about a garden, a flood, and a nation. That's pretty simple. 99% of it, though, is about a nation. It's about its history. So if you've been to Sunday school class, We get from that very start. It started off with a guy by the name of Abraham. Abraham had a son whose name was Isaac. Isaac had two sons named Jacob and Esau. Esau was kind of a bit of a bad apple, so, you know, he kind of was on the sidelines, and he started Edomites, and I won't say the Ishmaelites because they came from another one of... Anyhow, from there... Jacob had 12 sons. Dan, I'm not even going to try to quote him right now because I'll mess him up and then I'll embarrass myself. But Jacob had 12 sons. From there, 12 sons, one of those sons went to Egypt, right? Joseph. As Joseph went to Egypt, a big famine started in the land. What happened? The 11 brothers came to Joseph and said, We're hungry, we're starving, and you got food. Will you sell us food? And Joseph protects his brothers, and we begin to read the story about how they moved to Egypt. After a while, a new pharaoh came up who did not know Joseph, and he took 
the young nation, those 12 tribes that were beginning to form, and he enslaved them. And they were in slavery for about 400 years. After that, a guy by the name of Moses and the bulrushes, God took Moses and he began to raise him up. And from Moses, he gave him the Ten Commandments. And from the Ten Commandments, it just kind of continued. Then came Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. From there, it just continued on until we begin to get to the kings. And we get to the kings and we start off with Saul and through David and the Solomon. And it just kind of continues on. Soon we get to the prophets and we begin to going into captivity. And it begins to, so what do we, what do we read about? It's about a nation. It's about a nation, it's history, it's kings, it's poetry, it's prophets, it's laws, it's temple, it's tabernacle. And so as we begin to read through the Old Testament, when we begin to understand, we're reading about a nation. Now we read about this nation for a specific purpose, not because God thought that this nation was just so awesome, which he did think it was so awesome. He thought it was awesome for a particular reason. Because God had made a promise from the very start. In fact, he made the promise all the way back in the garden. And he began to fulfill it throughout. And we begin to see that promise continue. But he started it off all the way in the garden that there's going to come one who's going to change the world upside down and is going to begin to draw people back to God. And he tells Abraham, Abraham, through you, there will be a descendant. And he particularly uses one singular word, a descendant who will come, who will be a blessing to all nations. And he begins to go through the plan. All right. It's about a nation. So what do we do with the Old Testament? Do we throw that back in there? Because, hey, it's not about me. There's no part in that in the Old Testament we read and, and God said to Abraham Lincoln, you shall found a nation. Okay, it was a different Abraham. You see, Sometimes it's easy to look at and we say, well, well, if it's not about me, well, it is about you. It's just not about you, if, if you get what I mean. It's about a plan that God had that was so much bigger than us. And he wants us to know how it, we fit into that plan. And so he begins to create this big plan. And so as he begins to do it, we begin to read about this nation. Now, here's the funny thing. As you begin to read about it, it's not just about that nation. It is about the laws of that nation. So if you don't understand that part of it, it kind of gets a little confusing because we start with Abraham and, and actually it sort of starts even in the very beginning with Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve and they sinned. And God says, I'm gonna have to do something. And he goes out and he kills an animal because there has to be a sacrifice to cover the innocent for the guilty. And then he goes to Cain and Abel and they kind of get into a fight and it goes, Cain says, I don't think that's fair. I think God should accept my vegetables over Abel's silly sacrifice. And it kind of continues on and it finally gets through to the point where finally God sets up an actual system and we come to Moses. But we kind of see this where God continues to say, hey, you, you need this system, a, a way of showing that you're not, you don't measure up. You're not good enough. You can't be good enough. There's nothing you can do that can gain my favor. And so he finally decided when he came to Moses, he began to set up a thing that called, was called the law. 
And that's where we get the Ten Commandments. And so when we think of Moses and the law and the Ten Commandments, we think there were only ten. And, and trust me, the ten were hard enough. But actually, God sat down with Moses and formed, the, the Jewish people have it kind of broken down into over 600 laws. In order to try to fulfill God's desires, they have it broken down into 600, over 600 laws of here's how we do this, and here's how we do this, and here's how we do this, and here's how we do this. <sighs> Tiring. And so we begin to look at this idea, and it's always about the law. And in fact, it begins to get to the point where, hey, what have you done with my law? And so as you begin to read, a lot of the history is about what the kings are doing or what the nation's doing and how are they responding with God according to the law. So the battles they go into is not, it's based upon a conditional problem, uh, promise that God says, if you will obey me and you will follow my laws, I will protect you. I will make sure you're taken care of. I will fight your battles for you. I will make sure you, you have enough food to eat. And when you choose to ignore me, when you choose to go against my laws, I will bring pestilence through the land. I will bring famine on you. I will bring people to come in and to slaughter your children until you come back and realize that I am your God. And I just kind of went around and I went around. And so if you've read the, read the New Testament, it's hard because you read this constant cycle. God says, here's my law. And they say, okay, we'll do it. And then they don't do it. And they find themselves in trouble. And God sends a prophet. And they say, we don't like your prophet. And we kill your prophet. And they find themselves in a battle. And they often into captivity. And they say, God, we're sorry. We'll come back. We'll follow your law. And so God says, all right, I'll bring someone to come in and deliver you. And we deliver you. And we come back into your land. And they start the cycle all over again. You ever read that? Okay, see, you guys were skipping through it. You weren't reading it like you should have. You did what I did. Go find the juicy bits. But that's what we find. The vast majority of what we read through the Old Testament is what God is doing with his people according to his law. So how do we as followers of Jesus Christ respond to the system. It's not about us. It's predominantly about God's laws, his 10 commandments, which he didn't give to us. So what do we do with it? How do we respond to it? The apostle Paul began to deal with a church, a church in Galatia. Now we, quite a few months ago, we kind of looked at, started looking at this church in Galatia, but he started to deal with this church in Galatia. Now Galatia was a church that was made up of Jewish people, Gentile people, or people who were non-Jewish, and they had come together, and as they'd come together, they were trying to say, we, we honor God, we love God, we worship God. The only problem was is that the Jewish people began to see these non-Jewish people as a problem. How can God love, and how can God be with, and how can God really want to come into fellowship with people who do not follow his customs who do not follow the holidays, who do not eat the same meats we do, who do not do all the things that we do as Jewish people. How can God love them? Because if Jesus was a Jewish and Jesus followed the Jewish law, well, why shouldn't all these other people? Why shouldn't you? Why shouldn't I? And so the apostle Paul had to come in and, and then goes into Galatians chapter one and he starts with this little spot and he 
I think as we begin to understand this, it will begin to pull it back. What do we do with the Old Testament as we begin to find ourselves wrestling with this question? If we need something to ground our lives to, can we still ground it to the Old Testament? Well, Paul starts like this. I am shocked at you. I love the way he says that. I just kind of had to give my own emphasis on there. It's almost like I can hear my mom's voice in the back of my head or my dad's voice saying, I'm shocked at you. And it's like, oh, what did I do now? And so that's kind of what I hear. Paul's looking at me. He says, guys, I am shocked with you. You are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but it is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Well, what was this thing that they were being fooled by? What, what was it, someone else coming in saying, you gotta tie your shoes a certain way or, or you need to give a certain amount of money or, well, no, no, that, that's not what was confusing them. That was not the other good news. In fact, that other part of the good news that he says is what is getting you tripped up, he tells us. In fact, he goes on to say this. In, in chapter two, verse four, he says this. Even the question that came up only or even that question came up and they were talking about the particular question they're dealing with is the question of circumcision, okay? So we don't really wanna kind of get into that, but um, he's dealing with the idea of circumcision, which is one of the, the customs of the Jewish people. And he says this, even that question came up only because some of the so-called believers there, the false ones, really, who were secretly brought in, they sneaked in to spy on us and to take away the freedom that we have in Christ Jesus they wanted to enslave us and force us to follow the Jewish regulations. In other words, this is code for they were trying to get the, this group of people to become followers of the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament is still for us, but this is not what it was intended to be. It was not intended to be our book of rules and regulations. That's what the story of Jesus is about is the fulfillment or the completion of what he'd already promised. And so as they came, there's, th th these Jews were saying, yeah, but Jesus was a Jew and, and Jesus followed the customs and the laws. So if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, you have got to follow these Jewish customs and regulations too. Now, Paul tells us something that we already understand. For those of us who accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, Paul, Paul reminds us of this. And so he goes on to Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. And so Paul says, okay, for those who are trying to bring in and say that you must be a Jewish person in order to be a good Christian or to be a follower of Jesus, I need to remind you of something. And he says this. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law or the Old Testament. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be made right with God because of our faith. So in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law, for no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. Paul was reminding them something that we already know and we hold dear. That being a follower of Jesus Christ is simply about a simple act of faith of accepting what Jesus did for us on the cross. 
His resurrection proved he was exactly who he said he was. His death fulfilled, completed the sacrificial system. It required all the requirements of God, and it was done. It was finished. The law had been completed. You see, we know this, and we hold dear to this. In fact, all of us in here would probably say, absolutely, that's, that's what I, I believe. That's what I hold. Jesus died for me, and I put my faith and trust in what he did for me. Now, Paul goes on to explain that the Old Testament was important. It had value, and it has value. But here's how he puts it. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, he says this. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise to show people, that is us, our sins. In other words, what the law did is it just showed us we, we never measure up. We're guilty. We're scoundrels. When he says, thou shalt not lie, oh man, how many times a day do we find ourselves? We try not to, but... It gets hard when someone comes in and says, hey, so what do you think of my new haircut? And you're going, well, I don't really like it, but am I gonna tell you that? I don't think so. That's not polite. That's not nice. And so we kind of, he says to us, thou shalt not steal, but we start doing our tax returns and we notice if we kind of do a little fudge here and a little fudge. You see, we find ourselves in the spot. What does the law do? It shows us our guilt. It shows where a holy God stands and it shows where we stand. It shows where his heart is versus where my heart is. It was given alongside the promise to show people their sins, but the law was designed to last only until the coming of the child who was promised. You see, the old promise or the promise that was given of one who would come and it was started all the way off in the book of Genesis with a guy by the name of Adam. And then he continues on in verse 24 and 25 and he says this, let me put it another way. The law was our guardian, our teacher, our mentor, the one that was there to protect us until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. The Old Testament is our teacher. It shows us the holy God. It shows us the, hand, the standard that we cannot keep. It revealed the promise of something better to come. Look, first and foremost, we're guilty before a righteous God. We know that. But in Jesus, we have that fulfillment. The Old Testament it's still important because it teaches us about the character and the nature of who God is. But one of the things that we remember that in Jesus Christ, something that the law could never do, and I wanna kind of almost close with this because we just do not have any more time today. But I kind of wanna close with this. In Galatians chapter three, verses 28 and 29, Paul concludes with this idea, there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs 
and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So what do we do with the Old Testament? We read it, we love it, we cherish it, but we keep it in the context of what it is supposed to be. It is supposed to be our teacher, our examples. It is not supposed to be our rule of faith and practice. Jesus says, I have completed that. I have fulfilled the law. If you put your faith and trust in me, I provide a way of escape. We're gonna go part two next week. So whatever I have missed off this week, let me know and I'll see if I can get it in next week because we just don't have time for a single idea on this. So we're gonna try to get this finished next week. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Father, help us to understand that we're set free Yes, we have your word, and it is solid. It is something for us to stand on. But Father, if we take your word and make it mean something that it was never intended to be, it can leave us tripped up. It can leave us lost. It can leave us not knowing where to go or what to, how to understand. But Father, you gave us a promise. You fulfilled that promise. You showed us how we can never reach up to your standard. Father, we know you provided a way of escape. You provided a way that all of us can come into communion or be a part of your family. We don't have to be a Jew. We don't have to do all sorts of good works. We simply come accepting what you did for us on the cross. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed real quickly, I just want to bring you and ask you that question real quickly. Have you ever accepted Jesus as your own personal Savior? If you've never done that, you can do that right where you're sitting. All you have to do is simply say, God, I come to you. I accept what you did for me on the cross. Thank you that you cared enough for me, that you died for me, that you made a way for me. And then you rose again to prove you were who you said you were, that you could fulfill that requirement that was of God. Thank you, Father, for your love. Thank you for your goodness. In your name we pray. Amen.